Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Today our scripture comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the book, into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. One last reminder for any of the children who are doing the sermon challenge. This week and next week are the last two weeks uh, of this term. So if you're trying to get a certain uh, score, this would be the time to, to, to hit high. Okay? With that, let us begin the sermon. So... Uh, 
this year we've had a um, kind of a theme through all of the preaching from the pulpit. Uh, you might remember that at the beginning of the year we started with Genesis uh, 1 through 3 in a series called The Reason Why. And we saw how God had created the world very good and how God had created the earth as a place where God and man would dwell. But then we saw uh, when sin entered the world through the, de- the uh, deception of Satan that we've had a, a, a great fall that has brought all of humanity into a state of sin and separation from God, that we are banished from Eden. And then we spent much of the middle part of the year uh, seeing uh, the work of Christ's redemption in the book of Colossians. And then finally, we came back to Genesis and saw again more of the, the separation caused by sin. So if, if, uh, if you're astute, the uh, four movements of the Bible... Uh, are are being covered this year. The first movement of the Bible is the story of creation, which is Genesis 1 and 2, and then the story of the fall, which is chapter 3 of Genesis, and then the story of redemption takes up the majority of the Bible up to Revelation 20. But the principal movement of redemption is the, the, the coming of Christ and the giving of Christ for our sins. And the final act, the fourth act of the Bible, is what we call consummation. It's where the new heavens and the new earth are brought finally into the world. And that is what we learn in Revelation 20 to 22. So this year has basically taken us through the four acts of the Bible. We're calling this series All Things New because what we we want to recognize is that the story of, of, of Christmas, the story of Advent, the story of Christ is the story of taking everything that was broken, everything that was lost, everything that's been defiled and corrupted and, and ravaged by sin and destroyed by Satan is made new again because of Christ's perfect work of redemption. And so we are going to use the chapters uh, 20 through 22 of the book of Revelation to, to see the fullness of Christ's work. I also want you to notice as we, as we begin this series that Genesis 1 through 3 and Revelation 20 to 22, you will see that they are meant to be read side by side, which is a witness that the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is one story. And we don't know the whole story of the Bible until we see how God puts everything back together in Revelation 20 to 22. Now, maybe Revelation 20 to 22 is not a typical text to listen to or to to, to pay attention to in the season of Advent. However, I want us to see in uh, in, in this sermon today and in this series that Advent is very much appropriate for looking at these chapters. Here's what I want us to realize, that the Bible tells us there are two Advents. That the first Advent is the coming of Christ as a baby, the, the story that we are all familiar with. And it is the turning point of redemption. It is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring a Savior into the world. We make the mistake of, of looking at the, the coming of the Lord Jesus as a baby, as a, as a story in the past, as something behind us. We need to recognize from the Scripture's perspective The coming of Jesus as a baby is an eschatological event, a major end times event, because it is saying that the the promise of all of God, uh, uh, the fulfillment of all of God's promises are coming to pass. That is the first advent. 
But Revelation 20 to 22 tells us that there is a second advent, the second coming of Christ. And that is what we are going to be looking at these coming weeks. The second advent shows us what Christ's coming means in fullness. And the whole understanding of this series is that the first advent and the second advent are inseparable. They are part of the same story. They need to be understood side by side. This is made quite clear in one of the most neglected Advent passages of the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 12, where we read basically a a retelling of the entire story of redemption. Let me read uh, a a few verses from that chapter. I'm going to read 12, 1 to uh, 5, and then I'm going to skip down to 9 to 12. And the great sign, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then skipping down a few verses to verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The basic gist of this chapter is it is telling the story of the promised seed that we have been following in Genesis chapter 3, coming to the birth of Jesus, the woman who gives birth to the male child, who becomes the, 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 the ruler of the world, who is taken up to heaven. The point that he has taken up to heaven, we are, we are told the great victory of salvation. The accuser has been thrown out of heaven. He is, the, the victory of heaven has been won. But now we are living in this age between the first advent and the second advent where we are told that the devil now roams the earth in great wrath. And so we await the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ where he brings the victory that he brought to heaven also to earth. And so that is the the, the connection. These two advents are inseparable. What all this means for us is that Advent, as we come to to remembering the giving of of, uh, the baby Jesus to us, is that Advent assures us of the end. And as we live in Advent, it is a call for us to hope, to persevere, to trust afresh, in the giving of the Son, in the knowledge that the Son will come again. 
Genesis 20, as we, or sorry, Revelation 20, as we said, is, a, is an answer to those first three chapters of the Bible. And Revelation 20 addresses the great enemy, the fall of Satan, the evil one, that ancient serpent. We've seen that the story of the Bible is, is the story uh, laid out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the, the, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman are to be in this long war where the serpent will strike at the heel of the, of the woman's offspring, but the uh, uh, offspring of the woman will crush the head of the, Satan, of, the, of the serpent. What we have in Revelation 20 is the final definitive crushing of the serpent's head. So all of that introduction aside, here's what I want you to understand. We look forward because Christ has come to his second coming where there will be the full and final victory. When we come to to Christmas, when we come to Advent, we need to recognize this. Christmas proclaims that the one who crushes the snake, Satan, has come. He has come. And because he has come, we know he will come again. And the final crushing of the great enemy is certain. So how does Jesus finally crush Satan and his evil kingdom? Revelation 20 is going to show us three ways that we see Jesus finally crushing Satan and his evil kingdom, bringing back uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth. We see first, in verses 1 through 10, that Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the victorious warrior. Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the victorious warrior. Revelation 20 we stand at the doorstep of the new heavens and the new earth. This is the end of the great war that we have been following through the Bible. We, we looked at the great war in detail in Genesis chapter 4 where we saw the, the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, the promise that, that uh, Abel was going to be the offspring is, is immediately dashed when Cain, who goes after the way of, of the evil one, slays Abel and crushes him. And we see the the beginning of this great war between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the evil one. And so many different times in the story, the, the offspring of the evil one seemed to have the power and the advantage. When we come into Revelation 20, we are seeing the climax of that great war. Note, we have the same actors. We have Satan in this passage being referred to as the ancient serpent, reminding us of the scene in in the garden. And so as we look at this passage, we are going to see how Christ is the victorious warrior. But I know that the real question you want to know is, well, what about the millennium, right? That's the only thing we seem to want to talk about in, in Revelation 20. I want to deal with the millennium briefly because the millennium is not the the focus of of this series, some other series perhaps, but the millennium is that description of the thousand years that you see in Revelation 20. And really in the history of the church, uh, faithful Christians have fallen into three camps. They've taken the view that uh, the millennium describes the reign of Christ after his second coming. Some believe that that would be a pre-millennial position. 
Others believe that the second coming comes after the millennium. That would be the post-millennial position. And then there are others who take the view that the millennium is a, is a symbolic number that really refers to the church age. And so they would say that we are in the millennium presently waiting for uh, the second coming of Christ. Those are the three different views. Uh, I'm not going to bind anyone on which one that they need to take. Uh, today, in fact, you can be a fourth category, uh, a pan-millennium, uh, which is uh, the idea that it'll all pan out in the end. So regardless of what view you hold, we can be confident based on where this chapter ends, it's going to be okay. The purpose of the millennium in this passage is twofold. To show that God's people will be vindicated and to show that the kingdom of Satan will be destroyed by the sun. That is what I want us to gather as you pan-millennials uh, grasp the, the message of, Genesis, uh, of Revelation 20. This is that, that battle that we've talked about again and again where, where the odds seem so long and the power of evil seems so fierce and so strong and, and, and crushing. Look at verse 9 at the, at the situation of, of this last battle. Verse 9, we are told, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, uh, and, they, and, and as we see in, in verse 8, that their number is like the sand of the sea. We see that they are a countless number of people fighting for the kingdom of Satan. There are so many that they have surrounded entirely so that there is no point of escape for this, this seemingly small, diminutive co- uh, community of the righteous, the, the believers. This is, this is the story of how Satan operates this is the story that we, that we saw with, with Abel. Abel is righteous. Abel is, is faithful. Abel brings the right sacrifice. And yet, out of, out of cold, premeditated murder, he is slain. He doesn't even speak a word. And, and all we know is that God says, the blood of, your son, of, of Abel cries out to me. But that doesn't satisfy us. As we looked at that passage several weeks ago, where is the answer? To Abel. Where is the answer? Where is the, the vindication, the, 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 the deliverance of Abel? The, the victor in, in Genesis 4, the victor in that war is Cain, who prospers and builds a city. It's the same situation in Noah's day, where the whole world has become unrighteous, where the whole world has gone after rank depravity. And but for God finding Noah and placing his grace upon him, every living thing would have been destroyed. You see, the kingdom of Satan often outnumbers and overpowers and becomes quite frightening and fearsome. As we live between the two advents, this is a lesson for us because when the the, the evil one brings its power and brings its might, and brings all of its fearsomeness to our doorstep. It is easy to feel like we are going to lose. It is easy to ask the question, where is God? Where is Christ's victory? The evil one always seems to come with the numbers and the strength and the superior position. 
When we are in those situations, it is a time of fear. It is a time of uncertainty. It is a time of persecution. Many of us are, are quite troubled and worried that, that we, we see a, 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 an era of, of persecution that is going to ramp up. That being faithful is going to be more and more costly. And we see in the story of Revelation that, that the, the evil one even beheads, even kills, even destroys the righteous. There are many Abel's in the book of Revelation, whose blood spills out at the, at, the, at the malevolent hand of the evil one. But the story in Revelation 20 is written for our encouragement as those who have placed their hope in Christ. It is written to tell us, don't despair in the battle. Don't despair against the long odds. Because as verse 9 continues... They were surrounded, the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Suddenly, like the snap of a finger, like the blink of an eye, all of the horrors and fears of this, of this impressive army are consumed, not by the righteous delivering themselves, but by the victor Christ raining he uh, fire down from heaven and consuming the entire army. And in an instant, Jesus shows himself the victorious warrior. We recognize as we live between these two advents that Jesus is the one who will be victorious. That snake who has brought all of this evil upon the world, who has brought all of these armies against God's people, that snake is thrown into the lake of fire from which he can never return. Jesus gives us the victory. That is what Advent is here to remind us of. Jesus gives us the victory. The faithful, the persecuted, the slain, the ables will be vindicated. How? Well, look at verse 6. Verse 6 announces what is the end for those who are faithful to Christ. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. You see, all the powers of the evil one, all of the powers that the snake can bring against the righteous do not stand against the power of Christ who promises resurrection. In Christ is life, and life that cannot be quenched life that cannot be destroyed. And so this passage calls us to hold fast, to not doubt, to keep your profession no matter what. 
no matter how scary the, the surrounding armies may be, no matter how great the cost may seem to be, even if it is your life, keep your profession. Because Christ is the victorious warrior who gives us this promise. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the victory that we look forward to. Beloved, Advent means that we face the snake. We face the evil one with the crushing power of Christ's resurrection. Amen? But second... We see in this chapter that Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the righteous judge. Now we come to verses 11 to 15, the passage that we know as the final judgment. The final judgment is very much connected to Christ's victory over the kingdom of Satan. It is in the final judgment that Christ finally crushes the kingdom of Satan. And here's why. Because the world follows after Satan. Verse 8 tells us that it's the entire world, all of the nations. Look again at verse 8 where it it describes uh, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. The four corners of the earth is just another way of saying from everywhere. Everywhere is part of the kingdom of Satan. Everywhere is part of the, uh, the, the deception of Satan. The army of Satan is everyone who is not in this camp of Christ. This is a, a hard truth, but we need to hear it from different perspectives. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, these verses 2, 1 through 3, And when you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, that is the evil one, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You you see what Paul is saying there. There's there's two camps. There's the camp that you were born in. There is a camp that everyone belongs in unless or until they become part of the kingdom of Christ. What kingdom do we begin in? We begin in the kingdom of the power of the prince of the air. We we, We are born into and live under and follow the ways and are persuaded by the ways of the evil one. That is part of the kingdom of Satan. And so the final judgment is an essential aspect of ridding the world of the evil one. 
The millennium shows us that this judgment is necessary. I mean, look at what's being told to us here. All of these people were given a thousand years or given a great long time, whatever you want to make of the millennium, where they saw the gospel declared and they saw the gospel demonstrated, where they they were aware of the presence of the kingdom of Christ, where they knew without any question at all that Christ has come, that Christ reigns by, by seeing the fruit of that kingdom in his people. And yet, the moment that the deceiver comes and says, I have another way for you, they all go. They all follow. This illustrates the depth of the depravity of man. We choose Satan's ways. We align ourselves with his deception. And so let me say this here. What I have just said could describe you. You have sat in the midst of gospel preaching. You have sat in a people that has demonstrated that the gospel is real You are experiencing the reign of Christ to the left and the right, to the front and the back. You are without excuse if you have not taken the gospel and put your faith in it, if you have not confessed Christ. Refusing to believe is choosing to be part of the kingdom of Satan. There are no third camps. There is no waiting room of people to decide one or the other. You start in one and you are transferred by faith to the other. And so let me beseech you, if you have listened to the gospel preached, you have heard the invitation to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you answer back with, not today. Not today. Yet, after my years of fun are over, then I'll come back to this. You have chosen, and that choice is of ultimate disaster. Beloved, choose Christ. You cannot be neutral. You cannot stand outside. Look at verse 11 for for a moment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. What an awesome entrance. The, The end of history will come with the judge descending and everything running from its presence, disappearing, vanishing leaving absolutely no place to hide. Who is the judge that is sitting here on this throne? Obviously, it is God. But the face of that judge is Christ Jesus. Listen to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. 
Peter said he commanded us, Christ commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. When this great white throne appears and everyone is brought before it, it will be the face of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who is there judging. And that is something we cannot forget. The Christ who came in a manger. The Christ who was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Is the Christ who comes again on a throne. Christmas can be a time where the story of Jesus is quaint and safe and pleasant. It's it's not hard to ignore a baby. But that baby grows up. And that baby becomes the judge of all the earth. The final judgment is inescapable. All will come before the the throne. The, 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 The text tells us great and small. There is no one who will come to the judgment seat too big and too important for judgment. And there is no one who will come to the judgment seat too insignificant and too unknown for judgment. Every single person who has ever lived will be at this judgment. And this judgment will include every deed that has been done. These books that are going to be opened record and will play back every deed that has been done by every single person. And the judgment will be based on the books. It will be a judgment that is just. We will hear our our deeds done, and we will hear the holy judge say, this is the sentence for those deeds. And there will be no question of whether we have received a just sentence. And that sentence will also be final. At the final judgment, Christ will remove forever everything opposed to goodness, beauty, and life. Death and Hades itself are thrown into the lake of fire. They are no more. Now, when we say that all people go through the judgment, that includes Christians. That includes believers. How do we know that? Because in the text, right next to all these other books, is the book of life. And the book of life is the book that is opened to address believers. But they will all be there at this judgment. Now this passage, I understand, and, and rightfully so, is a terrifying passage. And if it is terrifying to you, then it is, it is a, perhaps the Spirit calling you to repentance and to faith. But I want to say something to the, to the believers, to the Christians. Beloved, you have nothing to fear. In the final judgment. If you know Christ. If you have made the profession. If you are trusting in him. You have nothing to fear in the final judgment. 
when the books are opened and your works are read, all of your sins will have already been blotted out. As Paul tells us in Colossians, as we saw earlier in the year, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, when the books are opened, those who are in Christ will have their sinful deeds blotted out because they have been paid in full by Christ's cross. You will have no shame in that judgment Because all the shame of judgment has fallen on Christ for you. And what will you experience at the final judgment? You will experience Christ's joy and celebration over the good works that you have done in his name. As we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, those who have been saved by faith, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As, as, as Jesus told us in, in the parables, all those who give a cup of water in my name, all those who clothe the naked in my name, all those who feed the hungry in my name and visit the prisoner in my name will hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, at the final judgment, Christ will lift up his people and will celebrate their deeds done in him and through him. And this is part of Christ's victory over Satan. Satan wants the entire world to oppose and do evil works and rebel against God. But at the last judgment, Christ will say, Look at these who were faithful who were good, who were obedient, who were righteous in my service. You didn't win. It is like the book of Job where we are told that that, uh, Satan was given permission to harass and persecute and devastate Job's life because Satan said he, he, he only follows you for your gifts. And at the end of Job, when Job does not cave and Job remains faithful, The real story is that Job is getting the victory over Satan because even when everything is stripped away and all he has left is his faith, he remains faithful. And that faithfulness becomes a humiliation to Satan. It becomes part of crushing him. And so your good works that you do in Christ's name will be held up as part of the crushing of Satan's head. Amen? 
our good works will go into eternity while Satan's works will go up in flame. Beloved, Advent is a call to faithfulness. It is a call to commit your ways to the judge that you may in this life display his lordship to a perishing world. So Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the righteous judge. But third, we also see that Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the glorious redeemer. Now don't be mistaken about the the judgment of believers and the, the lifting up of their good works. The works of believers are not what save them. The works of believers that are brought out in the, good, in the judgment are only a witness to the fact that they have been born again, that they have a living faith, that they are truly in Christ. Because Revelation 20 makes it very clear what saves. There is only one way to be saved. There is only one way for the judgment not to cast you into the outer darkness, into the lake of fire. Read again verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is only one way of salvation, and it is being found written in the book of life. And this is the most urgent question. Who's in the book of life? How can I know if I will be found in the book of life? Beloved, the book is filled with the names of Christ's redeemed. It is filled with those whom he has purchased by his death and resurrection. The book of life are those names that have been plundered from the kingdom of Satan. As we remember from Colossians, these words, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You see, the book of life is those whom God has delivered by the death of his son. Understand this. Heaven is entered only by grace alone. It is not by works. It is not by having the scales of good versus bad balanced more towards good than bad. It is only by grace alone. And how are we saved by grace alone? Through putting our faith alone in Christ alone. That is the answer of who is in the book of life. Those who have placed their faith alone in Christ alone. They are saved by the free gift, by the grace of God alone. And they enter heaven completely by the free gift and nothing else. You want to know something beautiful? 
We have looked at that passage in Genesis chapter 3 about the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the, of the serpent. We are told something amazing at the very end of Romans chapter 16. Almost, almost easy to miss, but we are told these words by Paul. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying this, this great prophecy that is fulfilled in the Messiah is something that all of Messiah's people will get to participate in. They will share in the crushing of Satan's head as Christ brings us into glory. We are going to enter trampling the head of that snake. We are going to be part of his downfall. Beloved at Advent, let us praise our glorious Redeemer. Let us think of these words that we will sing as we come into the gates of heaven, trampling the head of the snake, celebrating the grace given to us in Christ. We will sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And that will be sung by you if you are in Christ. So Jesus crushes the kingdom of Satan as the victorious warrior, as the righteous judge, as the glorious redeemer. How can we be sure? How can we be sure that all the evil that we see in the world, all of the pain and suffering, all of the persecution, all of the, 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 the gray clouds that seem to be descending upon us in this age, is actually going to end with this victory of Christ. Because the Son has already come. The Son has already come. That is what Christmas reminds us of. The first advent assures us that the second advent is coming. He has already got the victory. And so Advent is a call to each and every one of us to persevere, to put on the eyes of faith, and to trust that the victory is won and the victory is coming. But most importantly, I must end with this question. Will you be part of the resurrection to life? Will you be called out as good and faithful for the good works that you have done in the gospel? Will your name be found in his book of life? Jesus says in the gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Are those the words that you have put your faith in? If so, hallelujah. The kingdom is coming. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.